Welcome to Clockwise, a podcast that's done in 30 minutes, or it's free. I'm your co-host, Jason Snell, and to my left is John Phillips, Editor-in-Chief of PC World and TechHive. Hi, John. How's it going? Great, Jason. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. This is a, a little bit of an experiment for, for us. Thanks for being a part of this uh, experimental podcast that we're doing. My pleasure. Uh, sitting across from me is my co-host, Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Hello, Jason. Welcome. Thanks for Thanks for joining me as my co-host. This is the first time for both of us, so uh, let's just be very careful. I am I am going to be nothing but careful, and in saying that, I'm going to introduce to my left uh, guest, managing editor of IDGCSMB, I think is his title. Whatever. Uh, Philip, Philip Michaels. I'm a, man Hi, Phil. I'm a man without a title. A minister, you're, you're without, a minister portfolio. without portfolio. Damn it! <laughs> so, so, th- so this is an experimental podcast. I guess that explains the lab coats. Yes. The, yes. Right. And the, right. the just, strange just German back. expressionist music playing in the background. Volatile chemicals. Mm. Phil, this won't hurt a bit. Nah. No, it may hurt a little bit, actually. That's going to actually, that. it'll be a little painful. Sorry. So we've asked all four of the participants in this, including the hosts, to bring us a technology topic that's worth discussing. But this is clockwise. We don't want to waste your time. So each of us can talk for exactly seven minutes during this episode. So it's up to each of us to decide if we'll keep it brief or really rant on a single topic. But once one of us has talked for seven minutes, that person has to shut up for the rest of the episode. Yeah, it's a it's a rule. It's an inviolate rule. Now, because I'm the host and a kind and generous person to boot, I'm going to go first. And then the action will move clockwise as it does here. So here's my uh, here's my topic for discussion. Uh, last week, TechHive posted a bunch of stories in its wireless week about... Uh, wireless testing of all the various carriers and found that AT&T has the fastest speeds of any wireless carrier when it comes to data. My question to the three of you is, does it matter? John, uh, your clock starts now. You know, it matters when when that file is not downloading at all, but that doesn't happen very often. The bigger problem is that the call quality on uh, smartphones in general is awful, and it's awful on AT&T, which is my carrier of choice in the Bay Area. And it's really awful where I live, which is sort of on the side of a mountain. So, um, you know, I can't remember the last time that I sort of, um, you know, cursed my phone for for poor uh, 3G downloads. Uh, I don't have an LTE phone, so, you know, that that's out of the question right away. Uh, the, the bigger issue is that I simply can't hear people talking to me when they call me. Uh, so uh, I'm going to answer your question with a definitive no, it doesn't matter. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, Dan Morin, it's your time now. So, yeah, it matters in that AT&T, I guess, is my carrier. So that, that I guess, is a plus. Like John, I have kind of terrible cell reception where I live. But more to the point, I think, especially with the faster 4G and LTE things, it's great if it's fast. But my problem is that runs both through your data the uh, the data you have every month in your data package really really fast. I've actually exceeded I don't know how but four gigs last month. I went over a four gig limit and I didn't think I was using my phone that much. And to boot, the battery is an issue. We start having these faster and faster radios with with better download speeds, which is great. But those chips really burn through the power that you have available. So you know maybe you can download a two hundred megabyte file really quick, but at the same time you're going to eat up a whole ton of your iPhone's battery while you're doing it. So my feeling on the matter is that, you know, it's great to have a faster carrier and everything, but there are plenty of trade-offs that come along with that that make it not such an ideal situation. 
All right, fair enough. That's uh, that's Dan's piece. Dan spoke faster than John. <laughs> and, I think he got a lot more words in, too. And for more time, yes. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm back Dan is the AT&T of panelists. <laughs> Phil. You take that back. It's your turn. <laughs> um, at the risk of repeating what my colleagues have said, yeah, I guess um, the speed of, of, uh, of data is nice, but the first thing I want in a phone is the actual phone part. And um, if you're sensing a theme here, like many of my colleagues, AT&T is my carrier for now. Um, <laughs> Watch it, AT&T. <laughs> well, I recently moved to a, to a new house, and that happens to be in an AT&T dead zone. So they might have the, the fastest speeds imaginable, but I'm unable to take advantage of them from where I currently live unless I'm standing in a very specific part of my house. There it's great. But uh, no, it, it doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is the uh, reliability of the phone signal. And that's an area where, in my experience, AT&T falls down on the job. I'm done. All right. <laughs> well, well said. My turn to finish this off. And yeah, I, I actually agree with all of you uh, that it is not the primary thing. I think 3G is fast. LTE is great. It's, I, I love having speeds that are sometimes faster than the internet in my house. Um, but in the end, when people talk to me about what uh, carrier they should use for their phone, bottom line is if you have dropped calls where you live or where you work or other places you are on a regular basis, if you have to stand in a funny part of your house, a very specific part in order to get any signal at all, that's the number one thing. I, where I live, I actually can't get Verizon uh, in a clear signal. And so it's not an option for me. In the end, it really is primarily where you get good service at home, at work, and any other place you're using your phone. And then, you know, beyond that, sure, fast speeds are good. And, I, you know, I like them. But really, LTE is so fast that I'm a lot less worried about speed now and a lot more worried about reliability. Really, for me, um, speed is uh, we we kind of got the speed thing down with LTE. Let's take some time, hopefully, for these various carriers to get reliability up and to not have uh, dropped calls. So that's that's the next frontier. Um, so speed's important, but there's other stuff that's more important. And that is my piece in my uh, my question. So I guess now, as this game goes. It's time for John Phillips to share with us uh, his topic. Sure. So I want to talk about my phone. I have an iPhone 4S. I have loved it for years. But the screen size suddenly seems very, very small compared to a lot of competing phones out there. So I want to ask you guys, uh, I'm imagining most of you, probably all of you are on iPhones as well. What are you thinking about that screen size now that we have the Samsungs and the, and the HTC Ones of the world? Dan, you're on the clock. Well, I, I went to Italy a couple of weeks ago, and I brought an unlocked iPhone 4 because that, that was the phone I could unlock. And so I ended up using that for a lot of the week. Um, and then it was kind of strange to go back to an iPhone 5 after that because it did really seem like, oh, my God, the screen is giant. Uh, and I really liked that. You know, I really was – it let me do that transition all over again, and it may re reminded me how much you actually do benefit, even though it seems like it's only a, a very small amount of space added to it. Um, so, and I know my colleague Lex Friedman in using a, a Windows phone for several weeks found that he really liked having a larger screen. Uh, I think that's really important in some ways for the touchscreen interface because your whole screen is your interface, is you're manipulating directly on it. And so the smaller that the screen is, the less room you have to work with both from a, a, a control perspective as well as from an information display perspective. That said, I think some of those phones, my, my friend had a Motorola Droid 
X when they first came out, which I swear looked like a tricorder. It was so large. Uh, and I think there's a limit. I think there's a point at which this has become very definitely a tablet and no longer a phone. And and I, I kind of, you know, it's iPhone 5 has done a good job of hitting that sweet spot, but I wonder how much uh, how much play there is left in it. I'm finished. Fair enough. It moves to Phil. It does. Um, yeah, I, I had never really cared about screen size. Oddly enough, it's not the the Androids or the Windows phones of the world, though I, I do find myself impressed by by Windows phones in the brief time that I've had to use them. It's it's going between a tablet and a and an iPhone itself, like an iPad and an iPhone itself that that generally throws me uh, on a screen size. I was performing a, the very important, uh, very professionally enhancing function of playing a game on my iPhone the yes. other day uh, that involves uh, uh, basically forming words by by dragging tiles. And on the iPad, it's a great game to play because you have plenty of screen screen space to, to operate on the iPhone, not so much. I find myself mishitting and getting frustrated and wanting to throw my phone into the uh, onto the ground and stomp angrily away. Uh, so yes, I, I, I guess in a roundabout way, John, I, I, I am answering to the affirmative that I, I, I am beginning to feel a little cramped by the iPhone screen size, but I don't think it's it's Android that's that's making me feel that way. I think it's Apple's own superior tablets that are that 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 make me feel like I need a little bit more elbow room when I when I pull out my phone. All right. I'm up. So I used a Galaxy S3 for a little while um in advance of the Galaxy S4 announcement because I wanted to be familiar with it and um I can't speak to the size of other people's pockets, but it fits in my pocket just fine. I, I think Apple always is focused on the the sweetest of the sweet spots because Apple isn't going to be a company that releases 15 different phones. And I think Apple figures that having that small, thin, light phone uh, is the best place to start. However, we've seen that there are people like seeing these big phones. They like having these big phones with them. Um, with uh, uh, watching movies on them in, in HD, having that extra room for apps, and uh, you know they're nice. I think so. My feeling is I'm okay if Apple keeps the iPhone the standard iPhone size around. I really want to see another iPhone that is larger. I, I think a lot of people will like it. There are a lot of people like me who have room in their pocket for a little bit bigger device and to take advantage of that nice big screen. So. Um, you know, I, I I hear what you're saying too. I would definitely like to see a bigger screened iPhone. I would hate it, it though if that was the only iPhone. I figure if Apple wants to do this, they're going to need to come out with two iPhones, which is not without precedent because that's what they did with the iPod. So that's my take on it. John, you get the last word. Yeah, I sort of telegraphed my uh, you know my stance here earlier, but I've just about had it. You know, I've I've bought the uh, I think I bought the 3S. That was my first iPhone. I bought the iPad the day it came out. Because I knew this, I knew touch. I was a touch guy. I knew this is what I wanted. I wanted to play the touch games and have that touch experience on the larger, uh, larger screen. iPad delivered that. So, like Phil, the iPad continues to remind me how small the iPhone really is, as as far as uh, you know, a touch experience. Um, you know, I use my phone more and more for for reading, and um, you know, when I'm in a situation where I don't have the iPad or another tablet, and it's just not enough screen real estate. So, um, you know, I, 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 I sort of admire Apple for holding its ground and, and not being another Me Too. 
uh, company, and certainly a 5.5-inch screen like the Galaxy Note or however large that, that screen is. It might be 5.7. You know, that's absurd. I'm not going to put that in my pocket. But, um, you know, what I'm seeing in the uh, Galaxy S4 or the HTC One, it just seems like the perfect amount of screen size to, to strike that, that balance between, you know, giving you a good positive touch experience and something that's portable. So, you know, I'm, I'm on the verge. I'm, I'm, as soon as I can get an uh, Android phone that works with my, um, my jawbone up, <laughs> they don't yet, then I'm going to make the switch. So Apple's got just enough time there to... To, yeah. to, to capture you before you do that. It's a threat. All right. We're halfway through this one. And so I'm going to pause just to let you guys know what the time is. This is not a competition where the person who has the most time at the end wins, by the way. I want to make that clear because actually if you have a lot of time remaining, you lose because you have to talk extemporaneously about a subject of your choosing at the end in our extra time segment. So just to be clear, John has four minutes and 50 seconds left. Phil has four minutes, 49, Dan, 447, and I can't shut up and I have 426 left. So you've got plenty of time to spend rant away. Uh, I believe, Mr. Co-host, that it's your turn to go. I believe it is. So I I wanted to talk a little bit about earlier um, in the month we saw the Microsoft take the stage and talk about its plans for the next Xbox. Uh, And one of the things that was mentioned, I think it came up in an interview afterwards, is that uh, games would be, once you installed it on your drive, you know, you buy a game, take it home, put it in the disk drive, install it to your Xbox. It's now linked to your online account, which means if you give that disk to your friend, they can't play it. So this seems to me to have implications for, you know, a larger issue of borrowing digital media, which seems to be a really big problem. I'm wondering what you guys think about the future of borrowing and lending in a digital media environment. Phil, you're on the clock. Well... Um, just to let the listeners know uh, how horribly old I am, um, back ba- back in my day when giant zeppelins roamed the air, and you're several years younger than me. This yeah, actually, so. yes. Um, uh, we used to lend each other stuff all the time. You would make each other. You would make mixtapes for your friends so that they could listen to songs they hadn't paid for. You would give them <laughs> technically illegal, but okay. <laughs> it's technically illegal, but who cares? <laughs> We're among friends here. Um, the the no one's listening to this. Uh, the the you you would lend each other uh, uh, old Atari game cassettes to play on your your Atari uh, uh, system. You would you would lend each other books, and I think in the end that actually encouraged you to um, to put up your own hard earned allowance money to uh, to to buy that stuff on your own. So um, by restricting the the ability to share or not not. Not allowing it whatsoever. I think you're really, uh, in a sense, hurting your long-term sales more than you would by people just uh, willy-nilly uh, exchanging game discs or exchanging ebooks or, or what have you. I think um, uh, the the uh, removal of DRM in digital music, for example, has uh, has only helped that industry. Um, but then again, I I illegally shared music back in the 1980s. So what do I know, Jason? 
<laughs> All right, I'm going to take the a little bit of a, de- a devil's advocate point here, I guess. I I think I think it's ridiculous where you've got a closed system like the Xbox and you've got physical media still in the picture, like a uh, you know we wouldn't necessarily say this for a download where we'd say oh I can't transfer my download to a friend temporarily, but here it's a physical disc, and I, for me that does mean something different. That if you've got a physical object, that's great copy protection. It is its own thing, and if you take that to a friend's house to play. You shouldn't have to add your account to their Xbox. The disc should be your passport. Now, I do uh, question the argument that uh, this is going to hurt sales of a lot of these media in the end. We we see that that with digital media, you know, um, not making them portable, like eBooks is an example. I think it's kind of a shame that libraries uh, are having a hard time fitting into the eBook world. But at the same time. I also see it from the publisher's standpoint that that they want, you know, they want to give us, uh, they want to sell a copy to every single person, and right now they don't do that because there's a used market for books. But eBooks, they can do it. Uh, it it bugs me. Uh, I'm not. I'm a terrible devil's advocate. I'm sorry about that. It bugs me, but at the same time, I see their point. If they were legitimately making everything cheaper and making everybody buy to use it, I would feel okay about it. The problem is, I don't think that's what they're doing. I think they want everybody to pay full price for everything, every single time. And digital technology is their big opportunity to get back in the game. They couldn't make libraries illegal, but they can put DRM on books. So, I don't know. I sort of see where they're coming from, but I think it's kind of unfair. John? Yeah. Um, I see where they're coming from, too. They're seeing, I mean, if you look at the amount of media you could share uh, through torrents and, you know, just by any digital means possible, it doesn't matter if it's video, music, games, it's all up for grabs. And so you see companies like Microsoft, you know, they're just trying, you know, every single tactic they can take uh, to, to protect themselves and to and, and to protect the investment, and also it, it looks like Microsoft is really trying to tie everything into your Microsoft account. And so, you know, when when journalists post to them, well, what are we going to do about sharing games? You know, they had an answer at the ready. You're you bring a game to a friend's house, you log into your Microsoft account when you get to that person's Xbox One, and you're you're good to go. Um, I I don't get really indignant about this. Um, I. I'm I'm not a devil's advocate for either the the consumer in this case, or or certainly not Microsoft. But I feel you know there's there's going to be a way around it. Um, it, it but it is it sort of adds a a, a level of um, you know it's another little hurdle you're going to have to pass when you want to play a borrowed game or rent a game, and that that's sort of a you know that that's that's a pain. Um, but I understand where Microsoft is coming from, and, and, I, and maybe one of the bigger issues is, you know, what is what are they trying to do with with the Microsoft account? They're going to link it to everything, and not only does it sort of throw another little thing you have to do to to be inside the Microsoft environment, but you know, they, they're going to be linking a lot to that account, and it's not just your credit card. All right, Dan, it goes back to you. Yeah, uh, let me tell you, I, I'm a, I'm an Xbox owner, and I, I borrow a lot of games from my friends because, well, in some cases we have, you know, if there's a new multiplayer game out, everybody's got to buy a copy anyways. So that's you know to be expected. But in a lot of cases, there are like single player games where maybe I won't buy them when they come out. Um, but if a friend has bought one and beat it and isn't going to play it again, it's a great opportunity to borrow it and play it without needing to do so. Like just like 
borrowing a book from someone after they've read it. I mean, there's nothing that should be inherently locked down about that process, I feel. Yeah, I mean, if you, you want to prevent somebody from saying like, oh, I'm making a copy of this and giving to somebody else for free. But at the same time, I mean, this is, again, physical media. This is stuff that we've had the ability to do for a long time. Uh, moreover, it starts to hurt potential industries like, uh, I'm thinking of Gamefly, which is a Netflix-like service for games. It's unclear how something like that is going to work if you can't really lend games out. Um and as digital media media in general becomes more popular and it's certainly more convenient, I, I've started buying more ebooks because it's just it's easier. Uh, it doesn't take up as much shelf space. It's fairly affordable. But at the same time, it is frustrating to really read a book and you know want to lend it to somebody who you think would enjoy it. And I think that the current lending situation that that uh, Amazon's got is worse than nothing because it's you can like lend a book once to one person for two weeks. If they don't finish it within that two weeks, tough luck. Uh, so like Phil said, I think they're shooting themselves in the foot in the long run. I, I don't think that this necessarily helps them in any case. Um, and it really just feels dissatisfied. And I think with, with games, uh, especially, I think one of the, what you're going to see happen is people like me who say, well, I'm not going to buy that $60 game when it comes out. I'm going to wait, you know, two, three months and it'll come down because they always do. So I'm going to pay 20 or $40 for that single player game instead of $60. $60. So maybe I, you know, don't get it on the day when it comes out like everybody else, but I'm not going to pay full price for a game, especially if I can't then reuse it in some way. So it's the trade-offs of digital media, but I think this is such a shame uh, because it, it's, you know, especially in this age with burgeoning social media, the fact that we can't share things more that are media in this way, it's it's just really, it's upsetting. I'm upset and I'm done. <laughs> I can hear it in your voice. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Dan. I've never I'm seen Dan I'm not going to so take stricken. it anymore. All right, it moves to Phil. Phil, what's your topic? It is the Microsoft's latest tablet ad, um, the, specifically the ad that incorporates uh, Siri uh, as, as an unwitting guest star in the ad. You, if you haven't seen it, it uh, features an iPad and a, uh, a Surface side-by-side. The Surface is doing all sorts of things like running PowerPoint and running two apps at once, while uh, 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 the Apple uh, tablet says, oh, I, I can't do those things. Hey, let's just play Chopsticks, which is, a, of course, a shout out to an earlier um, Apple advertising when, when uh, you have an iPad and an iPad mini side by side and, and they play Chopsticks. And the, the underlying message from Microsoft is that the uh, the... Uh, uh, Apple's tablets is, are just a toy. Microsoft's tablets are are uh, something that uh, that anyone can use to get stuff done. Are they hilarious, Jason, or are they tone deaf? These ads. You know, I I love the bare knuckle fight from uh, from in advertising. Microsoft's throwing elbows. Good for them. Good for them. However, I I, I want to look at this ad and complain about a couple of things in it. First of which, and this struck me in the Xbox launch that happened too, is this idea of these side-by-side -side interfaces. How many times is a vendor going to tell me that I want to watch a movie, but I also want to have this thing on the side of it that makes it smaller, that lets me kind of flip around? It's like, I guess, you know... I just don't. I don't use my tablet that way. I, I I don't see a lot of cases where I'm sitting there thinking, "Gosh, I wish I could be distracted by something else while I'm doing this other thing." I have complete control over that device. I can use it however I want. And when I want to watch something, I want to watch it. And when I don't want to watch it, I'll do something else. So I think the the whole you can run two apps side by side thing is a little overstated. There are cases where uh, it would be useful in 
terms of having a web browser maybe and a text editor, but that's never what they show. They always show a movie running in HD within something else beside it. Who does that? Not me. Uh, and my other complaint about this Microsoft ad is they show PowerPoint and they show Keynote. And they do this thing where the fingers are like confused in Keynote, like they, they just can't make it work because it's not PowerPoint. Come on. Come on. It, Keynote is, is great. And Keynote on the iPad is great. And in fact, I think what they're suggesting is that PowerPoint is better because it has a little sidebar with a list of slides on it, which is a UI element in Keynote for iPad. They just didn't have it showing then in their ad. So, you know, I love the aggressiveness. Uh, they made they scored some points about some stuff that the iPad doesn't do that Surface does, and bless them for it. But some of their demos are ridiculous, and the Keynote thing. I mean, Keynote's been there for a lot longer than uh, the Surface has existed, and it actually works pretty well. So that's uh, that's it for me, John. How about you? Uh, so first off, I'll respond to one thing you said. Um, the side by side app thing. I, I think there is more value in it than than you might be giving it credit for. Um, I would never watch a video and. I don't know what would go on the other side of the screen <laughs> I, during a video. Just a bad sample, I, right? I think and I, IMDb listing yeah. so that you can look up stuff. Right. Yeah, sure. The, the, Which the, I do on the, my tablet. The dream is that you're going to be watching video or maybe live streaming, you know, if, if, if that's on your tablet. And then you'll be tweeting and listening to other tweets. Um, I wouldn't do that, but I, I do see times uh, when. Uh, the the Microsoft's I think the Snap feature is useful where sure. you're, where you're looking at Twitter on one side that's in the thin column on the other side you're you're reading email so there there are times when this is this comes up and and, and it's useful uh, but back to the ad my my bit my problem with the ad is that um, it's it's very manufactured and I think um, misleading the I, I can't I only saw the ad once so I can't remember it uh, with with great specificity but it's almost you know. I would like to hear the questions that prompted Siri to answer in the way she did, because there's no way Siri would give the answers that are appearing in the ad to to the questions that we that we are to assume were were spoken. So, all we hear is Siri giving answers, but we don't know what what prompted those those answers. Um, and it, it's sort of a you, you're going to jump think it's in because they're fake. <laughs> they're fake, and that's my whole problem with the ad. It's 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 okay. They make some interesting points, and I also like the bare knuckle approach to it. But it's a misleading ad, and I think when you're when you're talking about something as empirically testable as as a Siri response to to manufacture it is 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 just wrong. Um, but you know, I, I give Microsoft credit for uh, for you know. For you know, doing um, I'm trying to think of the perfect boxing analogy. We might have used them all up at this point. Also, I'm looking at uh, Jason's uh, countdown got, you got timer. Ninety seconds. Yeah, Go I'm, ahead. I'm trying to you know really spread this out. Um, but yeah, I, I give Microsoft uh, credit for for dirty boxing. Um, and you know, they do have some some benefits that even I gave them uh, you know kudos for when when I did my Surface review. But man, you know they're. The ad, if you really start tearing it apart, it's it's just not a fair ad. All right, and that's all I have to say, Dan. I mean, not only is it not really a fair ad, it's not really a good ad in my impression. I mean, there's a couple of points. One, the whole thing about PowerPoint not running. I mean, besides the fact that obviously you can open PowerPoint documents and Keynote and edit them, um, whose fault is it that you don't have PowerPoint compatibility on the iPad? Who hasn't delivered a version of Office for the iPad because they decided they didn't want to? I mean. To me, that seems a really odd thing to hit your competitor on when you're the one who makes the app for it. Um, moreover, I think the whole tone of it is very strange. I mean, so it's clearly a, a mimic of the old, you know, the, the Mac versus PC ads that Apple ran. Now, the thing about those that was 
that worked so well is that the PC character was actually sort of sympathetic. Um, and the, the Mac character came off, you know, a lot of people didn't like him, found him smarmy, but at the same time, he's basically a straight man, right? And, and John Hodgman, who was playing the PC is doing all the comedy in this one. It's, there isn't, there's not a dynamic like that. It doesn't even seem like, you know, these two things get along. There's no personality to the, the surface because all we hear is Siri, which Siri's, is an Apple feature. Siri is no John Hodgman. And, and it's an Apple feature. There's no responding, like there's no one working against it, right? Like there's no dialogue going on here, really. It's one-sided, like John was saying. Um, and so I think that's, it's a very odd. And most of all, the fact to me that this is Microsoft making this ad, who wants us clearly to cast them as the underdog. And sure, they're behind in the tablet market. They don't have the kind of, you know, success that Apple's got with the iPad, but it's still Microsoft. Like, you know, there's still a huge company that has an enormous amount of reach, especially on the PC side. So it seems a little farcical to me to cast Microsoft as an underdog, even if in this particular realm, they haven't been doing so great. All right, Phil, you're on the clock. All the time in the world. <laughs> Um, Would you like to sing a ballad about uh, I, I, Perhaps a little bit later. I, I think uh, to Dan Warren's point about the um, about there not being much personality, they're machines, Dan. <laughs> they're machines. She has a personality. She has feelings. Uh, obviously, well, John Hodgman is going to have more, more personality than a machine. I can't say that for Justin Long. But um, <laughs> speaking of uh, Burn. speaking of bare knuckles. Um, I I think as tech journalists we enjoy um, uh, Microsoft sniping at Apple and Apple sniping at Microsoft and oh there's Samsung in the corner going ha ha at both of them. I think for the consumer sitting at home watching TV it matters not a whit. They don't care. They don't. They the 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 little call out at the end to the the Apple ad with the the playing the chopsticks on the piano. I don't think um, your average consumer trying to decide which tablet to buy is going to be influenced by that. Oh, sick burn, Microsoft. Um, so in that case, uh, I'd agree with Dan that it's 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 not an effective ad. I I think a, a much better ad that Microsoft did recently was for the, um, the Surface. It was also released last week, one of the first times that I believe Microsoft has even mentioned the Surface by name and, and doesn't just have a weird-looking guy dancing on a table with all of his friends. <laughs> um, and that, I guess, raises the larger issue. Has Microsoft done a decent uh, television advertisement since it got the Rolling Stones to uh, to do Windows 90, 95, was it, back in the day? Yeah. Uh, cause, uh, <laughs> the Rolling Stones were already over the hill at that point. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I'm thinking back to that, that just confusing series of ads that Jerry Seinfeld and Bill Gates oh, did where they're, they're running around shopping malls, <laughs> buying people churros. I, and I, I will interject. I, I loved those ads. I, did, I don't think you? they were effective. I, I yield my time. No, no, go, go right ahead. <laughs> they weren't effective for Microsoft, but I found them entertaining. Mm. Well, entertaining, sure, but at the end of the day, <laughs> you're you're buying time on TV because you wanna you wanna move product, and I um, I don't think Microsoft um, is moving product with with this um, with this uh, Siri ad. Well, my, and I, I don't think uh, Bill Gates and Jerry Seinfeld made people buy no. things. They wanted, except for maybe churros. For churros. I, mean, yes. I think the or the, the the industry would call that a branding ad. You know, that was about giving Microsoft uh, cool by association. 
Well, the industry they're ironic. The, so the industry branding was they have too much money. The industry does says a lot of uh, things for <laughs> gives a lot of labels to foolish things that people do. Um, so that's the that's the end of my time, I believe. All right, you were very generous there, and you actually gave some of your time to Dan and and John to talk about the same topic, <laughs> which is very nice. Now that brings us to the question of what happens with all this time that we had left over. Everybody had seven minutes to talk, and the answer is a little thing we like to call extra time. In extra time, anyone who has extra time left on their clock at the end of clockwise gets to say whatever they want about whatever they want and must speak until their time runs out and then I'll let you know when your time has run out. Now again being a very generous host, I will go first. NASA recently announced that they are working on a 3D printer to print food in space and the example they gave was pizza. You you will be able to uh, in this dream Mars uh, rover of the future or whatever it is, they, they, they're going to build a 3D printer that will put down a crust layer and that'll cook, and then they'll put down a tomato sauce layer, and then above that will be a cheese layer, and then perhaps there will be protein-filled toppings on top. Although the story I read suggested mm, that those filled. toppings, and all the all this is come coming out of powder capsules that feed into the 3D printer. And according to the story that I read, the most likely source of protein for such a printer would be either mealworms or bugs. So good eating, Mars explorers. And with that, I would like to say that I am now completely out of time. John, you have a minute. A minute. I was not anticipating uh, any extra time. I should have been watching the clock a little bit closer. You know, I don't have a technology uh, story to tell, but I just have to say I'm, I'm watching So You Think You Can Dance, and I, I, I like this show. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, it, I'm maybe sharing a little bit too much, but uh, if you want to see, you know, excellent hip-hop dancing, and uh, and just learn about the whole world of dance, uh, which I know nothing about, and and uh, observe some heartwarming stories from across America. Uh, um, a man who was uh, burned very badly. Now, now this is getting almost. Is there a break dancing? And so <laughs> oh, there's a lot of break dance. This is not a ballroom dancing show per se. It's and a- there's no chance of seeing Steve Wozniak dance. <laughs> oh, well, you, you, no, it's a pretty campy show. I could actually see them bringing the Woz I thought, in. I thought you were going to talk about get, almost getting hit in the crosswalk outside our building. You no, know, I almost was going to talk about that. Did I? Did I? <laughs> Say I was going to talk about that yeah. because that was on the the verge. Uh, I may I thought that might have been a little bit too personal. Uh, Fair enough. So or sharing you... about so you think so you think you could dance is pretty personal now that I think about it. Yeah. Uh, but... And your time is up. Well oh, done. Man. Okay, uh, Dan, you have forty one seconds. Go. Uh, well, I was complaining to Jason about this before the show. We were setting up, and my my landline rung, rang, and I first thought was, oh "My God, my landline! I still have one of those." No, uh, but I, it's it's astounding to me that in this day and age of so much technology, we still have a device where complete strangers and companies can call me and make loud ringing noises in in my apartment without you know any permission from me whatsoever. Uh, and that led us to a discussion about uh, phones and text messages and the fact that you can't really block unwanted phone calling or text messages. Without generally paying your carrier some money, which seems like a total ripoff. I mean, at the very least, there should be something on your iOS phone that lets you mark certain numbers as like, don't ring my phone if these people call or send them directly to voicemail or, you know, so there you go, Dan. <laughs> well done. Your time is up. Phil, you have 33 seconds. I was going to um, talk about the whole Apple uh, uh, being brought before Congress to talk about uh, 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 tax uh, law, but that's a real high note to end the show on. And plus, tax law in twenty seconds. Yeah, tax law in twenty seconds. Um, so, uh, you know, Apple's not doing anything illegal, but just because it's not illegal and other companies do it, it, it strikes me as something that uh, 
still doesn't still doesn't smell right in a time when uh, austerity budgets are coming into place and incomes are. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Thanks for ending on a high yeah. note. Yeah. Let, let's talk. If Apple jumped off a bridge, would you? Let's t- let's talk about pizza some more. All right. So what have we learned? This is the point in the show where each of us gets to say something nice about one other person and only one other person on the panel. Who do you think did the best job today? I will go first. You can't pick yourself. And because I can't pick myself and also I did the worst job today, I'm going to pick John. John, we asked you to come in here and talk. You admitted about uh, So You Think You Can Dance. Um, and I think that took, a, that, that took a lot of guts. So I picked John as our MVP for today. Day. John, thank you so much, Jason. I pick Phil, uh, not for anything uh, specific he said, <laughs> but he used the most interesting words. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I just uh, I, I enjoyed his approach to language today. Dan, I'm going to suck up to my co-host and pick Jason because he <laughs> he really sold me on that last you know minute or so about pizza. I was feeling a little nippish before the show, and now I think I'm going to have some pizza. Yeah, don't use the insects or the mealworms though. And said bugs are big. Everyone's going to eat bugs. The UN, the UN said more people should eat bugs. Yeah. We got a lot of them. Phil, uh, I'm going to pick Dan Morin because why? Why should why should he be left out in the cold? <laughs> also, I enjoyed his I enjoyed his take on the Xbox answer. So there you go, folks. Which was his own topic. So I guess I guess he would have <laughs> I, I a good answer it. on that. I would hope he would have a good answer. So we've resolved that it's a mutual admiration society. We're great. So that that marks our first cycle around uh, the circle in Clockwise, uh, the the podcast that proves every issue has four sides. And since we've been carefully watching the clock, I have to tell you that is literally all the time we have. John Phillips, thank you very much for being here. Thank you. And Philip Michaels, thanks for joining us. I am happy to do it. So until next time, from all of us here at Clockwise, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Let us know what you think. Send your email to podcast at macworld.com, or you can email me personally at jsnell at macworld.com. 